0: Shut up, and sit down. What is going on? What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is episode 92 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl. It is fantastic to be here on this Wednesday evening, and uh, you'll probably be listening to this Thursday at some point. Uh, when it finally comes out on iTunes but thank you so much for tuning in Um, and a massive thank you for everybody that's been interacting and engaging with us over the past week or so because we've seen a spike in the numbers which is really encouraging and just powers us on to to continue producing the show getting better refining and some of those little tweaks and changes seem to be um, seem to be working and I don't mean that as like a sort of a trick or anything like that but just making little adjustments to the audio, making little adjustments to how we distribute, when we distribute, how we record, duration, certain, you know, things like that. We're learning, you know, in the grand scheme of podcasts, we are still at the fetus stage, you know, um, we're, we're, we're smaller than babies in this thing and, and we just want to continue to grow and when we see these spikes in numbers, it just, uh, like I said, gives us the encouragement to keep going and pressing on, and 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 taking stock of the fact that we've only been doing this for a very short time. There is no mechanism behind us. Uh, we're just trying to be as honest and uh, and as sort of raw as possible, bringing our thoughts as as they occur um, on topics that we think matter to you know everybody. Certainly matter to us, um, and just to put that in the airwaves and put that in the you know in in the zeitgeist, as it were. Um, sometimes. It's a stream of consciousness where it you know might not make much sense if you tune in halfway through or just get a piece of this or a piece of that. Sometimes we'll hit specific subjects. You know how we do. It doesn't matter. We just want to keep you listening. We want to keep you thinking. And we want to keep engaging with you guys. So again, massive thank you to everybody that has tuned in over the past week or so. What we're figuring out is that there is becoming sort of a long tail effect to some of our shows. People seem to be going back and checking out. You know previous episodes and that's had quite a bit of interest over the past week as well as you know the new shows that have been uploaded so all good news all encouraging and all you know all adds to the effort that we put forward so uh without any kind of further bigging myself up I don't know if that was really bigging myself up or anything like that but um you know just to reinforce where you can check us out, you know, get us wherever podcasts are, mainly iTunes and Spotify, but also uh, SoundCloud. And then please do check out our Twitter. We're becoming uh, much more engaged and much more prolific with that. Really <clears throat> really touching touching on subjects that matter, really kind of engaging on that platform now. So that's at QuietPartLoud. You can find us there as well. Uh, it's been about a week since... Well, it's been exactly a week because we're rolling these uh, every Wednesday evening. So it's been a week since the last show. And at that point in time, uh, we found out that Theresa May was going to retire from the Tory party following you know another shamble result of trying to bring some sort of a proposition proposal to the table for Brexit. Um, since then, we've had the EU elections... And the, res- the results are in, the results are in across Europe, the swing towards a much more far right, uh, government representation has definitely become apparent. I think Hungary, uh, you know, definitely the UK, uh, a number of different countries, Italy, perhaps. Yeah. I think Italy was in there as well. You know, they've all kind of elected the far right parties. Uh, to represent them in the EU that gives me pause in terms of whether or not everything that I was saying about a SECA referendum to stay in the EU is now a good idea or not because I just think this is a this is a reaction to dysfunctional politics and do we want to be caught up now in a single market that is going to be run in such a dysfunctional resentful manner it's, it's a tough one it's a tough one. It's, it's given me pause, though. Um, but everybody said, you, you know, everybody's kind of clamoring, especially within the Brexit party, who, you know, had a significant result during the EU elections, you know, basically making these claims now that if we don't leave the EU on the 31st of October, that, you know, the Brexit party will stand to run for prime minister and will win overwhelmingly. And I just don't think it's that clear cut. I think what the election, the EU election showed were was was more of a was more of a revolt against the main two parties. More of a more of a check, you know, more of a put you guys on notice. You know, we're sick of your bullshit. We're sick of the way you have constantly fucked up this process refused to make any sort of inroads or compromise and just acted in your own interests rather than in the interests of the citizens of this country. I think that's what the results of the EU election showed more as a temperature of the country rather than this swing towards Brexit and, you know, a clear sign that we definitely want to leave the EU because I think if you look at the results of Brexit success in those elections there was a correlation between the number of Tory seats that they lost and those that were gained by Brexit by the Brexit party similarly on the labor side of it you saw a win on the night for the liberal democrats and for the green party so if you take those and consolidate them as it were what you don't <clears throat> what you don't get is a picture that this country wants out of the EU. Because I think the temperature of the country still favors remaining in the EU, but not not by a landslide, not by, you know, not by a far margin. But I think there's more to take than that than just, oh, this party won, so that means this. It's not as binary and it's not as one-dimensional as that. I think there's a lot more to take from it, and I think one of the main takeaways is that People voiced their disapproval of how Brexit has been handled by the by both of the major parties. From the Conservative side, the fact that they couldn't get a deal done based on the referendum uh, that was you know decided upon the result of the referendum. You know within their own party they couldn't decide what a good Brexit and a bad Brexit and a, and a good deal versus a no deal and you know all of this stuff they couldn't even agree upon that themselves within the party, which is why you had a lot of defectors from the party going to change UK which just completely shit the bed and now will no longer be around as a party in my opinion, but never mind. Um, And then on the labor side of it, what you saw here was the leader, Jeremy Corbyn, basically not knowing which way he wanted to go with it. He wanted to have a, a renegotiated version of the Brexit proposal that Theresa May put out, but then he was like, well, maybe we need a general election and a second referendum. And that kind of flip-flopping back and forth and not holding a firm position is another reason why you saw the Labour Party seats drop and parties like the Green Party and the Lib Dem Party gain significantly because they were definite along with Change UK who didn't have a very good result but for a different reason you know these other two parties Green and Lib Dems they were clearly remain they were clearly remain parties just like Brexit was a clear-leave party. And that's where the voting public uh, kind of gravitated towards. It was one of those two sides. It was not this pandering, unknown, let's consider this and let's rework this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. it. It wasn't that. It wasn't the pandering shown by the Labour Party and, and Jeremy Corbyn. It wasn't the you know, inter-party fighting and disagreements you know lack of consensus that we saw from the Tory party it was like we stand for leave we stand for remain and sure enough the voting public were like well yeah i'll just i'll just pick which side i'm on and if you drill down there where for instance if there was a lib dem green coalition they would have had the same results as brex as the brexit party would have so it's a clear message to me that the country is still divided, but that people have a definite opinion on whether they want to stay or whether they want to go. And I think after three years of a complete, you know, Mickey Mouse show that's been conducted over Brexit so far, wouldn't, as we've been saying for months and months and months, the best, most sensible thing be to take this back to the citizenry and say, what do you guys want to do you've seen you've seen the promises which weren't true you've seen the way this has been this process has been managed since triggering article 50 you see where we currently are now we have a deadline of a uh, of october 31st at which point we will either leave the eu with or without a deal to everyone's peril and uncertainty or we will remain in the EU, wake up the next day, scratch your eyes and pretend this was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, right? Wipe the cold out my eye, right? It's time to wake up, stretch and move on. One of the two. Because that's the clear indication that the population has given here on these EU elections. There's not a huge debate now on hanging in the middle. Pick a side, get on it, or or you get lost. You will not be received by the British public, by the UK public if you do not choose a side on this. And for me the Tories have done, you know, massive damage to themselves. Labor have done massive damage to themselves, but it's nothing that, can, that can't that can be repaired with some concrete, firm leadership. And with that said, and Theresa May resigning right after she's hosted Donald Trump in a couple of days to a state visit that, you know, we're all paying for, once she bounces out, what, you, what you're what you left with is a power vacuum in the Tory party. Now, Bookie's odds were for Boris Johnson to become the, the, the party leader. But everybody that's been favored in the party leadership, I think in recent memory, hasn't actually gotten the position. And if the news of him going to trial over, you know, misconduct of a public official during the lead up to the original referendum if that's anything to go by then I would say that the Tory party would have a hard time getting behind a candidate like that because surely the British public is smart enough to see through the nonsense and ridiculousness that is Boris Johnson London Mayor was far enough That's far enough. We've seen how he does with international politics, and he's not very good at it. That said, the rest of the candidates in the field do not inspire confidence that would, for me, in my opinion anyhow, you know, it wouldn't strike the confidence that would make me go out to the polls and say, you know what, let's give these guys a try. There's nobody in that field that I would ever lend my name or my vote to. So it's going to be interesting what happens with the Tory Party leadership, but there is a debate set for I want to say Monday, but I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. I need to check up on that. But ultimately, what this EU, what the EU referendum was, was simply a was simply a a choosing of sides on the issue of Brexit. And I think with the results of the, as they've you know, kind of laid out now that it's all done is that we need to have a second vote on this. We need to have a second vote. Let's see if people who actually want to remain in the, UK, in the EU are motivated enough to mobilize and have a vote. Because apparently the turnout for the EU elections, although it signifies this kind of division in the country and the fact that they're sick of politicians pandering and fussing and going nowhere over Brexit, it also shows that they're uninspired. The ones that have come out have a clear decision made for where they stand on Brexit, but there's not enough people actioning their right to vote. It was something like 39%, which is just not good enough. It's just not good enough. There are people around the world that would die to have a vote, to to be able to vote in a democratic election. And maybe at one point in time in my life, I I was of the opinion that No vote would be a protest vote. But I just... I guess the older I get, the less I believe that. I feel that you need to cast your vote one way or another. And the best protest vote is to go against the powers that be if those are the ones you're opposed to. Put the power in somebody else's hands. Because if you remove yourself in terms of a protest vote being a no vote then you allow the decisions to be made without your engagement and interaction in the process. And that is, to me, that's more and more ignorant as I as I consider it. You know, just not casting a vote in protest. It's, it's basically like standing on a street corner and not saying anything. Holding a big white sign that doesn't have any writing on it. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. You have to shift the power in order to recognize that power can be shifted. And by you allocating a vote to another party outside of the major two that have basically run this country for the past however many, you know, generations, that can be shifted because as I said on the last show or the show before, the power resides with the people. We just don't understand it. We just don't understand it. We don't choose to investigate enough. So we'll see what happens with the labor party debate. I'm interested to hear these guys speak. Um, guys and girls, I should say. But nobody in that race gives me any confidence. I mean, Amber Rudd is running and we've talked about her and her hypocrisy in terms of, you know, her time in the home office and her, you know, her statements on medical cannabis. We know this woman. We know enough about her. We know her husband is part of the company that exports the most medical marijuana in the entire world, yet she won't work to legalize it for the hundreds of thousands of people in this country who desperately need CBD cannabis. Like it's just that she's she's so unfit for the job. I can't even believe she's got the audacity to run. That's, that's my opinion on her. Now, the rest of them, we can, go down, we can go down the list, but I don't want to take all that time up of analyzing, you know, a bunch of donkeys, you know, that, sh- that are effectively in, a, in what should be a pedigree race, right? Should be a thoroughbred race, and we've got none in the field. Oh, but they're all experienced politicians. Maybe that's the problem you know maybe that is exactly the issue maybe we need somebody from the outside who's going to look at things differently that's never going to happen with the tory party which is why to me they are more and more an irrelevant party this is what's going to happen with the republicans in america they're going to run out of time they're not going to be able to change their viewpoint their fundamental principles and they're going to be go- they they are going to become so out of touch with the With the majority of voting public. That they're just not going to be relevant anymore. They're not going to be a power party anymore. Now whether we as a country and a citizenry. You know actually have the courage of our conviction. To say now fuck these guys man. They haven't done anything right for me. For as long as I can remember. And I'm not giving them another chance. Until they show me they've got something that they can bring to the table that's worth my vote. Worth my time and consideration. Shift the power. So power understands that it can be moved. And it is not just a staple because it is it has been a staple. So be an interesting week or two ahead. Now, staying on this side of the pond, right? Staying with sort of this kind of elite citizenry that this elite kind of membership that, you know, is the Tory party, is the current government, you know, we look at this elite status and, 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 and all of its, you know, all of its glory. And I know I ask myself, oh, not all the time, but I, I always, I oftentimes ask myself, why are we, why are we responsible for these people? they are leftovers from a bygone era that are effectively just a tourist attraction now and i'm talking about the royal family right but it elevates one level up from this you know aristocracy that is you know the the political elite and goes one above them right to the to the royal family and the reason i mention this is because i read i read something on the news you remember a few months ago, um, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Queen's husband, Prince Philip, flipped over his Range Rover or his Land Rover and hit a woman in a car with a kid, with a baby. Everybody luckily was unhurt. But he had his license suspended for a little bit. But then he was out driving, you know, a couple of days later. They, haven't, they didn't bring any reckless driving charges against him. They didn't do anything. The woman busted her arm. Luckily, the child wasn't hurt. But he said, oh, I couldn't see what happened. There was a glare from the sun. Hey, you're 95. You shouldn't even be driving. And I don't want to be an ageist or anything like that. That the man can barely walk. How can he operate a motor vehicle? How can he operate an SUV? I mean, this is insane. So he ran this woman off the road, flipped his car over, right? Could have potentially hurt himself and those innocent people. And I read today that the woman who was in the crash with him, right? The one that he hit, she's had her license suspended for six months for a couple speeding tickets. She was going 38 in a 30 and 39 in a 30. And I'm just thinking to myself, this guy can hit somebody. This old bastard can hit somebody, flip his car over, smash up the road, walk away, be indignant. Not really. He didn't apologize until it became news that he hadn't apologized. Didn't apologize. And then this woman gets two speeding tickets and she has her license suspended for six months. (coughs) I mean, if that's not priv- if that's not like a, a meme of privilege or like a gif of privilege, like I don't know what is. It's just a joke. Like who the fuck is this guy? Like his, like his dad was somebody back in the day, so he's somebody from back in the day, and now he's just like he's allowed to drive around when he can barely stay awake. Some sun blinds him, so he drives... Like, what if he would have killed this woman? Would there been a manslaughter charge or anything like that? Involuntary or otherwise? I mean, Jesus. It's just a bit ridiculous to me. And I was just... Th- when I read that, I couldn't believe it. Like, okay, maybe she does deserve to get her license suspended for six months for the speeding tickets. I don't know her whole history and case file of, you know, her her road infractions, her vehicle infractions, traffic infractions, whatever. But what I do know is is Prince Philip hit her while she was in the car with her kid, put her in a ditch, and flipped his own vehicle. And nothing happened to him. Is that like the whole, like, take pity on him because he's an old man? Or is that we can't touch him because he's, like, the queen's husband? Either way, it doesn't sit well with me. And it's one of the problems I have with this kind of elite system that we live in. We're not all on play, even playing ground here. Have you ever seen that video where the coach tries to explain what privilege is? And he has all his students line up on a football field on the baseline. And he says, you know, if you grew up in a family with your mom and your dad, take two steps forward. If you don't if you never had to worry about where a meal was coming from take two steps forward right and and obviously it's it's a separation of class and race and everything like that. And there's a hundred dollar bill down on the on the other end zone line. and it's basically whoever wins the race gets the money and he's sig- he's showing this to say, you know privilege means a head start in life and that a lot of us have to work multiples multiple harder, to achieve the same result as somebody who was given you know born into privilege or you know had had stability in their life and it's gross right because you didn't do anything for that and I know Prince Philip's been in the war and he's done all the military service and everything like that but they're not that anymore yes Prince Harry went to Afghanistan for a bit for sure and that's commendable absolutely But they basically run charities, right? But we still pay them. That's my problem. We still pay them. They're some of the biggest landowners around. And they still get a stipend from us. And then that stipend is used to pay for things like Trump coming over here. And I've got an issue with that. I've also got an issue with this old man not being charged for running into a woman. And not apologizing. <laughs> that I just have a problem with that. Fundamentally. So. My two cents on the elitists. And the politicians. And. Next I want to talk about. This new Gillette. Razors commercial. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Uh, I saw it this morning. When I was scrolling through Twitter. And. The latest ad. you remember they did one. About how, you know, old dads are basically practicing toxic masculinity with their kids and blah, blah, blah. Well, this one is about a transgender... Is it transgender woman? Who is shaving for the very first time with her father. So she's, what, 16 or something like that. And, you know, it's this emotional commercial about how they're sharing this experience, this first shave, and how the first shave is special no matter what. And I watched it, and I, I didn't feel any specific kind of like emotional tug, and you know, I've read comments on Twitter, people were crying. Am I crying at this Gillette advert? Yes, it's so sweet. Oh my god, this is amazing. And I don't really share that emotion. About that commercial. Maybe. It's because what I am seeing in the commercial. Is is an adolescent. Who has. Presumably been subject to. Gender reassignment surgery. Hormone replacement therapy. Before they're even done maturing. That's the underlying problem I have with this. Also I feel that. Gillette pandering to be, you know, socially progressive and want to go away from any opportunity to be called a toxic masculine company. But this to me is a signification of an underlying problem, which is we are too quick to just go with the flow on what seems to be any progressive subject matter without taking into account what potential health consequences mental and physical can result by conducting these sorts of gender reassignment procedures to individuals that are not fully developed which is just biological fact when you're 15 or 16, you are still going through changes. Your hormones, as we all know, are running amok. You don't know what's up front down in a lot of cases. Your life is a roller coaster of emotions, of decision changes, of you know preferences and likes and tolerances and intolerances. You don't know anything, you're a baby still. You're becoming a person, you're becoming an adult. And from my point of view, if you want to identify as whatever you like, go ahead. I have no problem with transgender people, none whatsoever. If you want to go through that procedure and you, know, you, were, you feel that you were born into the wrong body, that's, that's your prerogative. My issue here is very, very simple. My issue here is doing it prematurely. Because we know the suicide rates with transgender people, it's, it's incredibly high. We also know that from a biological standpoint, as I mentioned, a human is not fully developed at 15 or 16 years old. Mentally, emotionally, physically. And to take on such a massive change before you fully develop into the person that you are going to be, I think deserves and requires pause and consideration. And I think by just putting this commercial out as a wholly benevolent feature of a parent's relationship of accepting their child for who they are, of course there's a great message behind that. But the underlying message to me is that this child has gone through significant change in addition to the natural change that they were going through and biologically is not in a position where it is healthy to be introducing exogenous hormones and changing what is still developing Introducing drugs to a system that is running as crazy as a teenage system, as the adolescent system. It's, it's just nuts to me. So I'm not on board with this. I'm not on board. I'm all for inclusiveness. I'm all for accepting people for who they are and the wild diversity that is our human civilization, our society. I don't want this to be a cardboard cutout society where everybody looks the same, feels the same, dresses the same, speaks the same. I'm not up for that at all. But I am up for sensible debate and conversation about the health risks of changing a person's gender by way of introducing all of these chemicals and all of this therapy and all of these procedures and surgeries to a young person who is still developing. That to me... Is problematic. And I feel that Gillette just would rather just flog some more razors to another part of the population who is coming into their audience, you know, their consumer market, and saying, hey, we'll make it comfortable and easy for you to buy. We'll be on your side. The science on this is a lot more nuanced. A lot more complicated and deserves a lot more consideration before we just start saying, yeah, if my kid thinks they're a girl, but they were born a boy, let's get them changed into a girl or vice versa. And I think I'm well within my rights to say, I don't consider that normal behavior. Now again I preface this with saying I have no problem with transgender people. I have no problem with anybody that wants to do what they want when they are an adult. If the parents are encouraging their developing child to go through this sort of forced change because they've had a they might be a bit flamboyant or they might like to wear dresses or they might say I feel like a girl I, I you know I feel a bit I feel different. I'm not normal. Guess what? Every teenager feels like that. And I'm not trying to downplay the transgender struggle or the, you know, identity, gender dysmorphia struggle that a lot of people go through. I'm just saying this cannot be a fix-all and a cover-all solution. At the first drop of a dime that a child feels like they're different or uncomfortable in their own skin whilst they're a teenager, then that that, that is cause, or even younger than that, that that is some sort of a cause to say, right, let's go to the doctor and switch things around. That seems highly irresponsible, very, very uh, snap, judgment type of decision making, and I don't think that's good for the health of the child long-term. So I don't agree with the Gillette commercial. It doesn't give me a warm, fuzzy feeling, it, it gives me a feeling of just blind pandering. And that's all I have to say about that, as Forrest Gump said. Um, what's next? Oh yeah, we're going to talk Julian Assange. So, we spoke about Julian Assange when he was kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London... He was obviously arrested to face the, re-emer- the reemergence of the sexual assault allegations in Sweden. But he has now been indicted on 17 counts by the U.S. under the uh, Espionage Act, right? So effectively being charged as a spy in his role in obtaining and publishing these uh, military and diplomatic documents, right? In 2010, this was. So, he's currently fighting extradition from the UK to America to face these charges. But what this does is really raise an issue about, well, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and whistleblowers, because Bradley, now Chelsea Manning, was sentenced to 35 years for stealing the documents. And Obama, as one of his last kind of presidential moves, commuted her sentence after she was in there for, I think, a couple of years. She's now back in jail, by the way, because she refuses to testify Against uh, Julian Assange, and she's been locked up again for that. Now, the charges against him are quite interesting because he didn't actually he didn't actually do anything other than publish, and it's really interesting because what they're focusing the a lot of these charges on is the fact that he didn't redact any of the information. He didn't he didn't uh, black out any of the people's names. In the documents that he received from Manning, and that that contributed to a national security issue, and obviously not, you know, it puts him in a sticky situation because lives are potentially in danger by him releasing those those names. Now, it raises the question about the publication of classified material and how journalists do their job because freedom of the press and freedom of speech is to hold power to account and if you do this and are then able to prosecute those people that have done it It makes individuals a lot less likely to go looking for the truth if they find the truth to disclose the truth in fear of their own safety and livelihood and so on and so forth, which we're seeing, you know, we've seen with Chelsea Manning. We're going to now see it with Julian Assange. And it's very interesting to me because when Trump was campaigning for president, he was quite a fan of Julian Assange. And when he made that now infamous statement where he called on Russia, Hey, Russia, if you've got the emails, if you've got Hillary's emails, or why don't you go look for Hillary's emails, if you find them, let me know kind of thing. Well, Julian Assange got the documents about Hillary Clinton from the Russians who we know, for sure, Trump was actively trying and willing to get information from. Now, he didn't collude with them, but apparently he was very, very interested in understanding and seeing the information that they had against his competitor. Now, this was given to Julian Assange by the Russians to help Trump win the election, which it ultimately, let's be honest, did. And now Trump has turned around and thrown this indictment at Assange for doing exactly that, but just in a different case because they've clearly said that what he did in terms of the Hillary emails and leaking those documents is not are not part of these in is not part of these indictments, which is really a a kind of smack in the face, right? Like, thanks for your help, but go fuck yourself kind of move. Now, there's also the claim of, well, what is Assange? Is he a publisher? Is he a journalist? And should he be afforded the same protections that journalists are protected? Which would make him effectively immune to these charges? But... They're not, they're saying, they're basically saying, no, he's not a journalist, he's a spy, he's a hacker, and he's a threat to national security. The problem here is if this win, if, if the government wins on this, now there's a lot of shit that Julian Assange has done that I don't like, but I fundamentally stand up for the right to distribute information freely And uncensored. Now I say that. But I say that also with a caveat. That if there are people mentioned. That are in active duty. That can be harmed. That information should be redacted. But just because he didn't. Doesn't make him a spy. And it necessarily a threat. To national security. Now like I said. I don't like all the shit that Julian Assange has done. Not in its entirety, but there are some real things that he's cast a light on that we wouldn't know otherwise, which are very, very important. Now, if he's indicted on these charges, which, well, he's been indicted on the charges, but if he's charged under the Espionage, Espionage Act on these 17 counts, what does that do to journalism moving forward? I think it sets a very, very dangerous precedent that based on what reporters publish, they can effectively be charged as a spy or undercutting national security. And that is going to make it impossible for them to do their job, which is, as we said in the beginning, holding power to account. Do I want to know about every single operation that the CIA is conducting? No, I don't. But if somebody within the CIA uncovers human rights abuses or you know, massive failings that cause death and destruction around the world, political unrest, whatever it may be, trying to overthrow governments for their own political gain, we need to know about that shit. We can't live in this marshmallow, you know, candy, rainbow world. There's dark shit happening in the world and we need to know about it. My problem with Julian Assange is he seems to be a vindictive little prick. He hated Hillary Clinton. He said so on many, many occasions. And he had a way that he knew he could affect the election. That's more of a problem for me than what he's released via Chelsea Manning. If I'm being completely honest, I think that... Is more of an egregious violation of his you know of you know affecting political discourse through stolen information is an issue disclosing government corruption war crimes I don't think that is the same thing And again, I'm not a legal mind, but I'm just looking at it from my perspective. He was vindictive and took a personal attack with the Hillary stuff. But when he released the information about all of the conduct of the American government overseas, that was more about transparency of information. The problem is when you've got somebody, you you know, when you've got somebody and they're a human being, they're going to have biases, they're going to have, you know, ways in which they lean, they're going to have things that piss them off, they're going to wake up and have a bad day. So it's a tricky structure and process to get right and to create something that is as honest and infallible and as unbiased as possible. That's going to be very, very difficult to do when you've got human beings Behind the wheel. Because we're not any of those things. And we can be very irrational. We can be very resentful. Vindictive. And Julian Assange, from all accounts, is no different. So, there's a problem there, right? Mediation and and how things get distributed, so on and so forth. But fundamentally, I am for whistleblowers. I am for people uncovering the nasty shit that our governments do and pulling the curtain back on some of their more nefarious operations. This is a very, very slippery slope and it's the last thing I'll say on it today before we check out of here is we need to protect those people who are willing to go to bat to uncover the darkness that power does. Because if we don't, we will further be controlled by them Subject, subjected to their will. Whether it benefits us or not. And we will become ever more sheep. Herded into the pens that they want us in. And we need to resist that at every opportunity. So I think there are fundamental problems with the operation that is WikiLeaks. But I also think there is tremendous good that has been done. Tremendous light that has been shined on you know, some really dark corners of our government and the way we work politically, militarily. And I think those are great things. I don't think he should be charged under the Espionage Act. I think it's a conflation of what's happened. And I think they're trying to make an example of him. So I hope people will come out and kind of stand up for, if nothing else, fairness. Fairness. And if nothing else, the fact that it is your right to know what the people who you employ to do a job are doing. As I said before, not everything. But certainly if we can find out that our government is up to nefarious actions that could destabilize us, put us into war, crash our economy, whatever... We have a right to know. And that's what that's what WikiLeaks, at its core, I think still stands for. And if we can get WikiLeaks to stay in that lane and keep their personalities out of it, we've got a, we've got a really great, powerful tool for good. But if we don't, and it's a pay-for-play mechanism, then we're in a really, really tricky spot but he didn't he wasn't subjected he you know he, the new york times is not subjected to this and they did exactly the same thing he did of course they redacted some of it but they're not being indicted under the same act and under the espionage act the guardian the washington post they're just picking on him as public enemy number one and I we need to be very careful of where this could potentially lead because if they win this the rest of the media better better look over their shoulder a little bit so that's it guys <laughs> done about 45 minutes just over um, Oh yeah, I I I didn't think I said this at the very beginning, but um, I cracked myself in the face with a plate at the gym the other day and I've got a fucking, I've got a black eye because some, some asshole or plural assholes do not put their equipment away when they're at the gym and they leave it all over the floor and I tripped on it while I was grabbing a plate it was 20 kilos and it hit me in the face now it could have done real damage but luckily i've just got a bit of a black eye Um, but nevertheless guys if you're out there a bit of a side note if you're out there and you're at the gym put your weights away don't be that guy don't be a douchebag nobody likes that guy (laughs) um so yeah i just thought i'd drop that in there um that's it we're gonna we're gonna bounce out guys so uh we'll be back next week I don't think we'll have time to do two episodes this week, so we'll definitely be back next, uh, well, will be Thursday when you get the show. It's Wednesday night now. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week with another show. This is episode 92. We're rolling on to 100. As I said to you before, I am trying to line up some interviews. It's uh, proving difficult just with conflicting schedules, but I'm working on it. Um, and we'll continue to update as there is more news on that. Um, but yeah, okay, so that's it. We're gonna we're gonna pack it in, guys. It's been great. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be back again before you know it with episode ninety three. And check us out, men. Download us if you like what you've listened to today. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes. It all helps. Um, subscribing, you know, all these kind of data capture points that iTunes and Spotify can can gather up is just currency for them, right? And it helps them put uh, more uh, more weight behind our show, which is what we're looking for, right? We just want more ears. So um, if you if you do enjoy the show, give us a shout out. We want to hear from you on Twitter. Uh, you can get the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. And that's it. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm your host, Daryl. This is episode 92 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. And until next time, all the best.